Jesse there? Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long road getting from there. Are you hearing um the same? Are you 847? Well, let me see if it, uh, it seems to work. Find out in a mo. I usually have people calling on the line. Um, this, hey, everybody, this is Dr. Jess Armline coming to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine here in southeastern Pennsylvania. Sean, are you still there? I'm here. Okay, do me a favor. Get off the line and, and listen and make sure that we're Susie and I are coming through. Okay, and then call okay. back in. All right? Okay, everybody, who's ever in the chat room over here, uh, you're going to have to let me know if you can hear me and if you can hear our guest, uh, Susie Cohen. So, um, Susie, can you say a few words so I can... Uh, um, hello, guys. How are you? Can you I'm just going to ask, can you guys hear us? All righty. Um, that may be me in the background. Oh, it's, a, it's like a show. Well, there shouldn't be there shouldn't be more than one show on. So um, there's a show in the background. There shouldn't be a show in the background. Maybe it's somebody I have. Um, hold on. Can you hear both of us? There's somebody answering me now. So this nice person's um, letting us know, and he's saying, "Hold on." Okay, good. As used to the when I use their change to their Wi-Fi thing, a lot of stuff a lot of stuff changed. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how to work certain things of this. Okay, Sean says we're being heard loud and clear. Oh, wonderful. Okay. All right, good. Susan is very faint. Um. I guess you're. I guess they're not hearing you real well. I don't know about the how to manipulate the volume. Um, I have a Yeti mic, so it should be pretty clear and nice. Yeah, you know, and Sean's telling me that it's um, that you're very faint when coming over the Blog Talk Radio. Maybe I'm not actually on Blog Talk Radio. Maybe it's just picking me up from the Skype audio that's coming through your computer. Um, but I don't know how to. Clear, yes, very faint. Um, so I don't know what to do with that. Um, because if, if it's very faint, then nobody's going to be hearing you. Oh, that's, um, 
that would be bad. Um, well, you know something, I'd rather have a, a sucky call than, than no being, nobody being able to hear you. Do you want me to just try to call you on a, on a line? Um, I'm going to call you on your phone number, okay? On my phone phone? Uh, the, well, I'm not going to say it out loud because everybody's going to hear me, so. Uh, let me let me let me let me dial let me dial that in. See which one it goes in. It's dialing now. Okay, so there you go. I'm on my cell phone now. All right, that believe it or not, can I can hear you really really well. Okay. All right, let me see. One second. Let me pull the audio out. Talk again. Yeah, just t take your Yeti off and just use the cell phone. Okay. Can you hear me now? I can hear you, but it's it's uh, bouncing back and forth, so just use the cell phone itself. Okay. Okay. And okay. How the, does this sound? Perfect. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Like I said, it's a it's a little, you know, there's no echo now. Okay. Sean's in the background listening to the listening to the show. Okay, great. So let us begin. <laughs> now that we've got <laughs> technical stuff. Yeah, welcome everybody. I am uh, glad you're all here. That took us a couple minutes to get through some of the technical stuff. But um, we have a great show for you tonight. Uh, if anybody has not gotten the PDF that's associated with it, it's been uh, published on my blog on the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine blog and as many blogs as I could get it on. It's also at the top of the chat room. Okay, there's a short PDF that uh, Susie Cohen is going to be, um, okay, who's going to be uh, speaking from. Also joining us tonight is Sean Bean. Say hi, Sean. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Okay, great. Great. Wonderful. Okay, great. Yeah, I want to tell you a little bit about our guest who who agreed to do this at the last minute. She's an incredible speaker. Uh, Susie Cohen is uh, a registered pharmacist. She is America's most trusted pharmacist. And um, she has a bunch of um, books out, books out, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, information out on the internet. And um, she has been a pharmacist for 26 years and been in uh, integrative medicine for the past 15. And I'm going to let her tell you about her education, but I was going through her, um, going through her about Susie Cohen, and there's a lot of stuff here you guys really like about it. She likes, she likes adventure. She loves herbs. Uh, she makes herbal medicinal teas almost every day. Uh, she loves to dance. Um, she's an explorer. Uh, she likes Hugh Jackson, and my, my favorite Hugh Jackson uh, movie is um, Van Helsing, believe it or not. I know everybody likes Wolverine. Which one is yours? Oh, God, I don't know. I just like to watch him. <laughs> I can see why. Um, you're obsessed with boots more than flip-flops. Very cool. Have you been stalking it? me? Seth, no, have you you've been stalking you've me. Been, you've been you wrote it down, okay? Um, <laughs> your hair is naturally very dark, but you dye it brown. I won't speak of it. You're a bit of a hippie. Uh, you like hippie clothes, clothes, headbands, tie dyes, and so forth. You collect rocks. Very cool. Okay, you love salt, and you carry salts in your purse, uh, especially smoked salts. You got to try that. And um, you're a member of the American College for the Advancement of Medicine, the Institute of Functional Medicine, 
the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, the American Pharmacists Association, the International Lyme and Associated Diseases Society, ILADS. You're a member of the Academy of Comprehensive Integrative Medicine. Um, you're on scientific advisory boards for Essential Formulas, Nutrix, Hawaii, and STS Health. And that is an amazing set of qualifications. And I know you've been on Dr. Oz a few times, several times, six times, right? Good Morning America, The View, The Doctors, amazing. And you, uh, your, your column is Dear Pharmacist, which circulates to 20 million readers each week. Whew. It's more than an honor, honor to have you on the, uh, on the show with us tonight, Susie, really, you know, and um, I put it out there like since yesterday, I've been, I've been booming the internet with everybody, you know, and everybody's like, yes, Susie's coming on, yes, 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 what is she going to talk about, wait, Aww. I don't care what she talks about, as long as she talks, I can't wait, you know, <laughs> No, that's hysterical. It's true. Thank you, Dr. No, it's Doug. true. And, and it's true. You, it's true. You know, so, and I know tonight I, you're going to One correction. About... I'm, I'm, I'm actually only on the board of Essential Formulas, so I need to correct that. I, oh, I well, don't work excuse for me. <laughs> or flu no, that's all right. I just want, you know, just for disclosure, so that I only of work course. for one company, and I'm just their consultant and help them decide what to do. They've got a really neat probiotic out now that helps ramp up glutathione. It's sold under the brand name Redactive, which is very cool. So people can check that out later. But it's a, it's a new probiotic strain that ramps up glutathione, which is kind of cool. But, yeah, back to our topic at, at hand. And no, we have, at the very so end. so much. I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to, well, to begin. Well, I, I know exactly. Or, we're, we're actually, given everything that you know, we had spoken yesterday about, and this is what I've put out about how medications can induce SNPs, induced singular nucleotide polymorphisms. And, and you and I had a long discussion yesterday about what that actually meant. And what I think I'd like to, since everybody's very, very interested in SNPs these days, and I don't blame them to be perfectly honest, but I often think they tend to take the polymorphisms in the genes and put them in, give them the wrong weight and give them the um, kind of, you know, make things more important than they are. But the relationship between medications and its effect on your genetics is is something that um, I've never addressed, and you're certainly an expert in the area. So I think what I'd like to ask you first is, could you explain, you were explaining to me how you looked at a SNP yesterday, and I thought it was fascinating. You know I have my way of explaining it, which, you know, I can wax philosophical for the next 10 hours, but, <laughs> you know, I'd really like you to tell the audience the way that you look at a SNP. Sure. Um, and, and that's a good thing because people are afraid of SNPs. They hear SNPs and they're like, well, that doesn't apply to me. I don't even know what a SNP is. What is that? You know, so I, I guess maybe we should start just briefly, very briefly, what it, what it is and how I look at it and how I describe it to you. So a SNP is SMP. For my listening audience, they would, you know, they need, they would think it's SNIP because it sounds like that, but it's actually SMP. It stands for single nucleotide polymorphism, which your audience will fully understand. And they're not isolated. We've got roughly 10 million SNPs in the human genome, which form our genetic personality. They're not bad. SNPs aren't necessarily a bad thing. People think, oh, I have a methylation SNP, therefore I'm bad. Like they've got this 
you know, scarlet S on them or M for methylation, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so first off, scarlet A, scarlet scarlet M, right? And me and Sam both have the scarlet M because we both have methylation smoke. But they're not defects. It doesn't make me defective. I'm sorry. That is perfect. Go ahead. It is funny. So, um, anyway, the I'm still trying to get Wolverine out of my head. So, but anyway, we're moving <laughs> forward with this now. <laughs> They're not defects. They just happen. So uh, my joke around the house is like, happen. They just happen. And most of the time they happen on a DNA strand in between your genes. But sometimes they do actually occur near the gene. And if that's the case, then it can possibly affect that gene's function. So the big point here is that SNPs in and of themselves can be benign. Most of the time they are. In other words, the presence of a SNP doesn't necessarily mean that you will be ill. It doesn't necessarily mean that if you have the BRCA1 homozygous you know, gene SNP that you need to go get a double mastectomy. Although I respect Jolie's choice. I, I mean, obviously every woman has a choice. It's her body. It's her right to, to do that. People went a little crazy on her. But I don't agree with it because having a SNP doesn't mean you have to be ill. So you asked me to explain how I thought about it, you know, the way I explained it to you last night. And for people just trying to understand SNPs, you have this crystalline DNA strand. It's actually quite beautiful. We are beautiful. And you have to think of your DNA strand like you would a winding highway, a beautiful scenic byway. And you're driving down the road, and every now and then you see twins. Now, I'm talking to two guys here, right? Sean and Jeff. So we're kind yep. of like we're having we're a menage twins. a brain. <laughs> 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 and on that note, you're driving down the highway, and you see these beautiful twin girls. They're wearing denim shorts. One's holding a sign that's either a plus sign or a minus, and her twin next to her is holding either a plus sign or a minus. So if you have two plus signs, you're homozygous. If you're driving down the road and the girls are holding two negative signs, then that's negative homozygous. And if one has a plus, one has a minus, then you're, it's heterozygous. So when you have a heterozygous SNP, that means that the activity of that enzyme is down to approximately 55 60%. If it's homozygous, then it could be I mean, down to as little as 10% or maybe, you know, 20% efficiency of what it would normally function as. And the big surprise to people is what I'm about to say. I hope you're sitting down. Mm -hmm. I don't do the show standing up. <laughs> well, that's good. Some people do. <laughs> But the big surprise to people is that you don't even have to have a SNP in your DNA strand as far as I'm concerned. I've been a pharmacist 25 years and been looking at medications and their side effects. And if you take a medication, just by the mere fact that it depletes nutrients and that affects the metabolic pathways, that could cause you to have a medication-induced SNP, whether or not your DNA strand has one. Now, if you are genetically such that you have a SNP, say, in, you know, your methylation pathway, and then you have something that depletes a nutrient that makes that pathway run, right, like, for example, B6 or magnesium or riboflavin or something like that, then you won't be able to produce 
methyl folate. So it's a one-two punch if you have the SNF and a nutrient depletion because you're taking a drug, you see. But I'm saying you don't even have to have a SNF. There are medication-induced SNFs, and it's a big steal from the body. It's like it's a thief. I mean, I wrote a book on it called Drug Muggers, and it's about drugs that mug nutrients. And what I didn't know then but I know today is that these drug muggers are ripping you off and causing side effects. And part of the way that they do that, part of the mechanism by which they do that, is they're creating SNFs in your pathway where maybe there were none. Does that make sense? It makes it, the more I thought about it last night, because you know, it, you know, you know, Sean and I do this work, you know, kind of for a living. Not kind of for a living. We do it for a living now, and you get you get a you know an idea in your head of how things work. And when you and I chatted last night, it, it made so much more sense, you know, that uh, what some yeah. of these medications will do, you know, and actually create the polymorphism, create the, you know, when we think of a polymorphism as the reduced function of an enzyme, that there's other ways of that enzyme being, uh, who's, that other ways that the function of that enzyme can be reduced, which equivalates to right. what makes a SNP itself, essentially. Right. And so, you know, as of late, my interest has turned on, you know, how medications can affect other aspects of our health. For example, how they might predict an individual's response to certain drugs. Why does one person take, for example, um, I don't know, we could pick any drug, SSRI, like, for example, Prozac or Paxil, and, and they do okay, and why another person can take that and they can virtually go crazy within three or four days. And then you have to look at that as the most famous liver enzymes, the cytochrome, cytochrome P450 isoenzymes, and, of course, they're broken down into others, and I don't want to get all complicated on people. I don't want to get complicated on myself, but, I mean, <laughs> just one of them, <laughs> the, the, my husband, Sam, has a heterozygous SNP for the cytochrome P452D6 isoenzyme. So, luckily, he doesn't require the types of antidepressants, but just, for example, if he did... Just taking that drug with his heterozygous SNP would cause that drug to go up in his bloodstream and could be very, very bad for him. Now, I personally have a homozygous SNP in the cytochrome P450-1A2 isoenzyme. And so, like, if I take caffeine, I'm okay, but if I take an inhibitor of that isoenzyme, for example, something like Cipro, that would be very bad for me. Um, another one that would be very bad would be citalopram, diltiazem, and erythromycin-type drugs, um, also cimetidine. Those drugs could be very bad because of the nature of me having a homozygous SNP in 1A2. That means that there's decreased activity of that enzyme. I'm not going to break down those drugs very well. They're going to build up in my bloodstream and cause harsh side effects. So I'm not the only human being with SNPs in the cytochrome P450 liver enzyme system. Everyone has them. Are they good? Are they bad? You can't make that judgment. But knowing that would help you to predict which drug would be best for you, which you might have the lowest amount of interactions or side effects to and what you might have the best response to. So this is a growing um, area, and I think our beloved Dr. Sterling 
Hill um, is studying this. So, like, she's really the expert. But my point here is that there are expensive hospitalizations every day. There's serious adverse drug reactions. There are, unfortunately, fatal outcomes. And it has to do with our genetic polymorphisms, our SNPs, our DNA strand. And this is a new pioneering kind of science, one that I appreciate being part of and talking to you tonight. Even though it's growing and I don't know a whole lot, I, I'm still grateful to be leading this area of medication-induced SNPs. That is, it, this is absolutely fascinating to me. Uh, in the um, in the PowerPoint that you gave me, of course, we started off with methylation, uh, and uh, on the methylation uh, slide, it, it has. Um, hold on a sec. Whoops. The first slide is just basically methylation, starting with reduced folates, which is leafy greens, going past the FOLR2 enzyme, and then the DHFR to create dihydrofolate and then tetrahydrofolate at which requires B12 and zinc to finally make it down to 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. Uh, MTHFD1 uh, needs B6 and magnesium to become 5-10-methylene tetrahydrofolate and riboflavin is required for the dreaded MTHFR. And I say the dreaded MTHFR because <clears throat> let's face it, too many people spend too much time on that one gene before it finally becomes 5-methyl-tetrahydrofolate. On the next slide, you have, um, and, and people are going to start asking this and asking it very reasonably, uh, in that particular pathway, what if they have SNPs already or what medicines will induce SNPs? And I'll let you read it out because, you know, you have it kind of nicely put in here. In other words, if people have difficulties which of these medicines will induce SNPs on their own and which will, if you can tell, make an already mm -hmm. um, polymorphic enzyme, uh, that polymorphic enzyme give you a signal that you shouldn't be using particular medications, okay? Because I can see it from both ends here. Um, so if you'd like to talk about um, that second slide you have on the methylation area, and you have antibiotics and acids, PPIs, and so forth. Okay, so so people can see this, right? What I sent you. Well, uh, if they if they got the um, if they got the PDF that I put together with it, and that's why I described it. So I described it at first, and now I'm mm -hmm. looking at the methylation slide that has the reduced uh, folates with FOLO2 DHFR. Right. Right. I just wanted to make sure. People could see that could see that not not only because it took me like 12 hours to create these slides, but also because I want people to follow along. <laughs> a lot of times, they may not have it in front of them right now, and they get it later on the archive. So that's why okay. I'm speaking. That's why I'm speaking it out at the moment. Okay, good. So so people who are eating, for example, kale soup, which I made tonight. Um, it goes down this pathway that you can see, and in order to create methylfolate, the biologically active form of folate, you need to have certain enzymes. Um, you also have to have these genes working, but you also have to have the nutrients, and the nutrients on that slide are vitamin B6 or pyridoxine, magnesium, and riboflavin. Riboflavin specifically works on the MTHFR gene. So if you are short on those nutrients, then you have hampered production of methylfolate. 
So the next slide, I show the actual drug categories. I don't list them all because we would have no white space on the slide. So I'm giving drug categories. <laughs> but for example, no, for real. So diuretics, I mean, you could name them. HRT, that stands for hormone replacement therapy. And in that category, uh, we could also say oral contraceptives. Those MAO inhibitors and fibrates, uh, those would all be what I have termed drug muggers of vitamin B6. And as for magnesium, we have corticosteroids, antibiotics, you can name them. Again, HRT and oral contraceptives. We have the sulfonamides. We have Ritalin, right? Methylphenidate. So people don't realize that taking those drugs is going to crush levels of B6 and magnesium. What does that do? That prevents the formation of adequate amounts of 5,10-methylene tetrahydrofolate. Now, if you're short on riboflavin, then the MTHFR gene or protein, you know, that, that whole enzyme is not working. MTHFR enzyme is not going to work as well. And some of the drug mongers of that include HRT, oral contraceptives, diuretics, specifically the thiazide, also loop diuretics, and certain antidepressants, uh, the worst offenders being the tricyclics. What does that mean? If you're taking any one of those drugs, and there's others too, I didn't list them all, but those are the big categories, then you can't do that final step and have MTHFR enzyme create that 5-MTHF. It slows it down, SNP or not. So this is basically a medication-induced SNP. And then when you look at it the other way, you're looking at 5-MTHF going back to tetrahydrofolate, you need B12 and zinc. And some of the drugs that crush levels of those include antibiotics and diabetes drugs, um, Parkinson's drugs. Acid blockers are absolutely huge. Think about how those work. The acid blockers are changing your pH, right? They're raising your pH. And some people need them. I get that. Some people have, a, you know, duodenal ulcer, bleeding ulcer. It's very painful. I get that they have to be taken. But if you know it's going to crush levels of nutrients that you need for proper methylation or, or other pathways, transsulfuration or transmethylation or whatever, you know, what we've got hundreds of biochemical pathways. If you know that your medicine is going to crush nutrients such that you can no longer carry out these natural God-given metabolic pathways, then you need to supplement, put back what medication stole. Um, but those are the big offenders. Also cholestyramine, I should have mentioned that. People take that as a very good binder, not only for cholesterol, but it's an excellent binder for people with um, Marcons and um, mold issues. And, you know, they'll use cholestyramine as a binder to, you know, try to pull some of the neurotoxins so they don't go through enterohepatic recirculation. That is absolutely fascinating. Absolutely you want, you want, fascinating. You want, you want one more fascinating little tidbit there? Oh, sure, absolutely. Cadmium. Yeah. Cadmium, which people think, who cares about cadmium? I don't care about cadmium. But you know what? Cadmium is very high in people who smoke. So if you're a smoker right. Right. and you don't even take any medicine, you could be high in cadmium, and that's going to inhibit that same pathway of um, methylfolate going back to tetrahydrofolate because it's an inhibitor of zinc, which is needed it's for that also a, chemical. It's also a, um, 
mar it's also a toxin in automobile uh, gasoline fuel from automobiles. Oh, uh, I better stop. Science. Wow, yeah, I better stop sniffing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said you were a hippie. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. You know, I shouldn't have said that. I don't even know what web page you're looking at, but some of the things you said ring true. But it ha it made me laugh because you said I like herbs. I'm a hippie, and everybody listening knows I live in Colorado. So put that picture together, and I'm thinking, no, I hate pot. I don't touch it. I don't even like to walk past a vehicle that's you know with that aroma coming out of it. It makes me want to throw up. But the way that you mm -hmm. described me, I was like. Shut up, shut up. <laughs> no, it's good, it's good. Good, just remember, you know, there's, there's specialness everywhere. So in, in going to the next uh, slide, you have the transsulfuration pathway. And I'm going to speak it out for those people who don't have the slides in front of them. Uh, the transsulfuration pathway is essentially how we get our glutathione and other things. And it starts off with homocysteine and serine. And the enzyme, main enzyme involved is CBS, which is not a radio station, people. It means cystathione beta synthase, which creates cystathione. In order to do that, you need uh, zinc and B6. Okay, if the cystathione to be broken down to cysteine, you need B6. And then it can go down a couple of different pathways. Uh, it goes by CDO, and I'm not, I don't exactly remember what CDO is. Um, Sean, anybody? I guess no, nobody. Uh, I remember that's where you get uh, taurine um, going down there, and then you get cysteine, you go down to cysteine dioxygenase. Okay, and then it goes to PDH, uh, which eventually ends up becoming with and it needs B1 and riboflavin to become acetyl coenzyme A. A different place to mm -hmm. go is if you go and create glutathione, you need magnesium to create glutathione, and then eventually. Uh, it becomes oxidized glutathione, and you need riboflavin, and if I don't miss my guess, you need um, NAD in order to recreate, reduce glutathione from oxidized glutathione. No? Yes? Maybe? I don't know. Anyway. You, you need so, riboflavin to, to, re, to go back to reduce glutathione from oxidized. Okay. So riboflavin is needed for the GSR enzyme. There's a lot more to this pathway than than's here, but this is this is important because oxidized glutathione can block up a lot of different pathways, especially in the mitochondria. Okay, so the ability for the body to take oxidized glutathione and bring it back to reduce glutathione is real important. Okay, so if we look at the transsulfuration on the next page, you have the pathway that I just spoke out. If you can go down the pathway and tell everybody what could interfere with the uh, with this yes. pathway sure so you know the thing that we're talking about I want to make sure everybody still understands we're talking about drugs that are interfering with certain nutrients by some mechanism whatever that is for I should back up and say if, if I say diuretic it's interfering with your nutrients for example b6 or zinc because it's affecting the loop of Henle and reabsorption of that nutrient. When I say an acid blocker is interfering with a nutrient, it's simply because it's affecting your ability to extract that from food um, because it's altering the pH of your gut. So that's another way. If I happen to say, 
maybe CoQ10 or drugs like the statins that steal CoQ10. It's not in our current example, but that happens in the liver. Um, the HMG-CoA reductase enzyme is affected. So it's happening all over the body in millions of cells, trillions, all day long. So when you take a medication, it's not going on for the 30 minutes or an hour while you're busy swallowing it and absorbing it. This is going on all day long. It's a big nutrient steal. And the nutrients that you mentioned in the transpiration pathway are very important. You mentioned zinc, B6, magnesium, riboflavin, iron, um, B1, so, so many. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of drugs that affect it. I think um, for our purposes, I should hit the big one. Riboflavin, that's the thing that takes oxidized glutathione back to reduced glutathione. Magnesium is a powerful, uh, I'm sorry, riboflavin. Um, it's a, a powerful B vitamin fluorescent too. It's the thing that makes you pee bright yellow, which is always fascinating to people. Mm. Um, and, and, and the drugs that affect it are tricyclic antidepressants, potassium sparing diuretics, HRT and oral contraceptives, and methotrexate, those are the big ones, although there are others. But, you know, under HRT and oral contraceptives, you're looking at dozens of drugs, over 100. I mean, women are taking these drugs every day, millions of them. Um, now, the other one is the GSS enzyme that takes cysteine and NH3 and converts that via the GSS enzyme to glutathione. That's what you want. You need magnesium to do that. You can't do that if you're taking something that steals mag from your body. Guess what takes it? Methylphenidate again, antibiotics, sulfonamides, and corticosteroids. How many people do we know are on prednisone and methylprednisone and, and taking these drugs or on antibiotics? Well, every limey in the community is on half a dozen antibiotics, right. and they've been on Absolutely. them for years. Say, say it again and say it loud. Tank. That not sound like James Every, Brown, but say it loud. <laughs> right, including my sweet hubby, you know. So in an effort to treat uh, Lyme or any other infection that you might have, even innocuous ones in the sinus cavities or soft tissue skin infections, you know, they, they put you on amoxicillin or Z-Pak or something like that, not realizing, well, at best you can get a physician to say take a probiotic, and that's if you're lucky. But how many of them are going to say take magnesium? Because if you don't, it's going to tank your glutathione. It ain't going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah, but then they tell, you the, then they tell you the magnesium is adding biofilms. <laughs> oh, right. Right. And then um, vitamin B6, you need that further up for the CBS enzyme to take homocysteine mm -hmm. down to cystocytes. If CBS isn't working well, you're going to have elevated levels of homocysteine that's bad right that's really bad it's, this is a remember everybody who's listening that we're taking a few examples here that are taken a little bit out of context when you're looking at the entirety of the biochemical pathways to introduce you to the concept that medications in and of themselves can induce the action of single nucleotide polymorphisms. It's not something that is commonly thought about, yet 
it is common that the use of medications is commonly utilized without consideration of these factors and this is what we're we're primarily trying to do tonight is introduce you to another uh, incredibly important concept that uh, there'll be more on this later on as as research goes on as lecturing goes on okay but you're gonna you're basically hearing about it first here you know we talk about pharmacogenetics okay and there are companies out there that do genetic testing and then tell your doctor what you should or shouldn't have but this takes pharmacogenetics and brings it into a whole nother realm okay mm -hmm. so um, believe it or not guys you're you're kind of hearing it first here and and you should be you know fascinated like all get out okay but yeah i am I'm not, I'm not going to lie yeah, to you that, I, that, I, <laughs> that I'm learning a lot here. And this I'm is, taking notes like crazy. Oh, well, and there's articles at my website, Jeff, because for our new listeners who aren't familiar with me, they could go to my website, sign up for my free newsletter, and uh, they can also use my search box, and I have articles which we can talk about later if you want to. But the point is, is that I'm talking about this um, again for Dr. Ben Lynch's mm -hmm. uh, Methylation Epigenetic Summit this fall. So if people are interested in hearing me speak more about this as well as the other expert speakers, this is here's where we get your appetite wet and then you can come to Denver and you can try um, you know our herbs over here if you want to, but you can certainly come and listen to the Methylation <laughs> Summit. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad <laughs> you mentioned that. Um, yes, you go. I'm, I'm going to make you dance because I'm going to have a little whip or something. But in case anybody's wondering, I'm going to be speaking at the seminar also. Okay, doing a case, doing a case study and uh, explaining how how to look at SNPs in a slightly different way. But uh, you know, when people walk out of that seminar, they're going to have, which is really a conference. It's not like a seminar. It's like five days of a conference. Their um, level of knowledge is going to be geometrically increased okay and it's all yeah new it's new cutting-edge stuff and stuff that can for the healthcare provider that can be utilized Monday morning which is the most important thing so this is getting everybody's yeah, totally. appetite wet but you know these are real 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 important things so everybody maybe after the show tonight you go back to you know where we've put the archive numbers and also for the PDF so you can you know copy this down we also have the the thing that the enzymes that a lot of us are very, very familiar with, COMTNMAO, which is catechol methyltransferase and monoamine oxidase. And, and very wisely here, you, you start looking at the dopamine pathway. Okay. Um, COMTNMAO. Are we leaving the transulfuration? I was still excited about that. Oh, please go ahead. I'll, I'll go back. Okay, cool, because the, the big deal for, I, I was still like, I have something on the edge of my tongue that I was like dying to get please, out. So please, please spit the, it out. The CBS gene, right? Like everybody's talking about the CBS SNP and the CBS gene and all that. Um, it is important because if it's not functioning well, the homocysteine is going to build up and that can be neurotoxic. So you need zinc and you need B6 to make that work. And you need B6 to take cystocyone to cysteine plus NH3. And what I wanted to say was that zinc is taken out of the body by Crestor. Um, that is a statin cholesterol-reducing drug. And it was in the top three of 2014 most 
used prescriptions. 22.5 million prescriptions were written for this drug mm -hmm. for people. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody knows that statins take CoQ10. I'm not, I don't want to talk about that because that's not part of this pathway, but it does also take zinc. That's a big secret to people. And when you are zinc deficient and you're not supplementing it because you should be supplementing with a little bit, even a little bit, if especially your RBC zinc is low, you know, you can check that. But if you're taking a statin and you, you have symptoms of low zinc, and your homocysteine is high, I would suspect that there's a sluggish CBS pathway happening, SNP or not, and I would look at that and maybe supplement with that because if Crestor is doing it, there's probably other statins that are doing it. And I'm um, 100% sure that there are, including atorvastatin and lovastatin and a few others. So these drugs not only take CoQ10, they take zinc, and that will hamper your transsulfuration pathway. So that's where I was going with that. Um, it'll also hit it on the CDO part, so it'll it'll suppress CDO enzyme, which we don't talk much about. But the end result of that is insufficient acetyl CoA, which can lead to all kinds of problems. But okay, so I I got that um, off my system. Oh, one more one more thing, albuterol, because we're in the summer, right? We're in the summer. Right, and there's allergies. Right. Everybody's huffing and puffing and taking albuterol. So albuterol is a drug mugger of pyridoxine, or B6, and B6 is needed for that CBS gene as well. I, yeah, I mean, the, I just, I, I don't know what no, our audience is doing, but I'm just like, oh my God, well, like this is- That's, not, that's my that's biggest problem when I say a joke, nobody, nobody responds because you can't hear them, but usually there's, uh, what, I'm, what I'm here, what we usually do on the show is I can tell you that the, um, that the chat room is completely full and uh, they're they're listening intently, and I usually give people an opportunity to ask questions as soon as we get through the um, you know the kind of the lecture portion here, and um, you know the, I think that's the way that we've run run the show since we started. So um, you know that's we have a few more slides to do. So uh, believe me, with the the questions will be coming fast and furious. Um, so are we are we ready to go to um, uh, COMT. Yes. Now? Okay. Good. Yes, you were. I want to. I want to. I want to read. Um, I want to read out the slides so that people who don't have the slides just yet um, have an idea. So COMT and MAO, which a lot of people see uh, polymorphisms on their on their 23andMe, means catechol methyltransferase and monoamine oxidase, which is chiefly responsible for breaking down where metabolizing the excitatory neurotransmitters, things like. You know, dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine, uh, phenylethylamine, um, uh, not glutamine, but uh, glutamate. But uh, in this particular pathway, you have dopamine that is being broken down by uh, DBH, which is dopa beta hydrogenase. And um, that requires vitamin C and copper to get it to norepinephrine. And um, there's also a pathway off the side where you see MAO which it requires riboflavin and COMT, which requires magnesium, but going down a different pathway or straight pathway, norepinephrine is broken down into epinephrine by um, phenylethylamine. It is phosphatolethanolamine and methyltransferase, PNMT, okay, which breaks down to epinephrine. Epinephrine needs COMT and magnesium to go to metanephrine 
and then it goes MAO with riboflavin to 3-methoxy, 4-HPGA, and then it goes down uh, to be, get its final breakdown from uh, aldehyde dehydrogenase um, with thiamine to become VMA, uh, which is a big long name that I can never pronounce. Uh, but nevertheless, that's the basic pathway, and it's e sometimes you look at these pathways and you just say to, say to yourself, gee, if I just took riboflavin, thi thiamine, magnesium, vitamin C, everything would be cool. But um, there are a whole mess of uh, medications that can really take the wind out of the sails of this pathway, yes? Yeah. I mean, there's hundreds. I don't even know where to begin. Well, there's just, been some... You know, looking at the pathway, maybe dopamine beta hydroxylase is at the top of the pathway. It takes dopamine and norepi. I mean, maybe we just start with that one. Well, we usually when I'm looking at looking at these pathways, I can I can see where somebody might have some neuropsychiatric problems because I'll be seeing COMT and MAO being interfered with, and then I'll see DBH being interfered with. So I know where where the backup's going to be in dopamine, and high dopamine is going to give you paranoia, hallucinations, stuff like that. But there's other medications that can induce the same result, which is why I'm really fascinated here because you know my my interest in neuropsychiatric conditions, okay? And some yeah, of them are, right. you know, some of them are things like antacids and protein pump inhibitors and uh, the blood pressure drugs. And here's a biggie that I didn't know, NSAIDs like Advil, ibuprofen. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. I, I, I didn't know that, okay? I didn't know. I, yeah, I, so... so I, go ahead, please, please. So, so those are the, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, the NSAIDs, that's what we call them affectionately, which includes a class of things like ibuprofen, which is sold under the brand name of Advil or Motrin. We have Aleve, which is the brand name to naproxen. We also see aspirin. So those drugs will affect DBH because they will steal vitamin C. They'll suppress levels of vitamin C, which, uh, just as a side note, we do not make vitamin C. This is something that is essential to good health. We do not produce this in the body. We have to get this from delicious Florida oranges that are organic. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> or, or one of my favorite you don't, you don't have stock in a grove, right? In a grove, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, no, I don't have stock in an orange grove. You can also take camu camu. It's an herb that is rich in vitamin C. Um, HRT contraceptives will... Uh, slow down DBH. Again, for our new audience, DBH is carrying dopamine to norepi. If, if you're, you know, high in dopamine, then like you said, there's more paranoia, potential for hallucinations, and just high anxiety. Um, super high dopamine, if I'm, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, will lead to uncontrollable urges to gamble and have sex. Is that true, Jeff? Well, um, super high dopamine, um, because, and you usually see this with the um, DRD2 genes, the, uh, the dopamine receptors, which has been researched as being part and parcel or one of the main reasons for addictive behavior. And uh, when you put together the fact that, you know, the person can't get their rewards because they're not getting the dopamine onto the receptors or there's not enough dopamine receptors and high levels of dopamine that, you know, whatever kind of obsessive or addictive behavior that they may be predisposed to is going to come out. And, and what I've seen is hypersexuality. I've seen uh, gambling. I've seen drinking. I've seen uh, drug addiction. 
on all, all of the, anything that there would be a 12-step program for is considered ad you know, addictive behavior. Uh, I've yep. seen um, my autistic children have the highest levels of dopamine I've ever seen. Your frank autistics, okay, that's their main issue is very, very high dopamine. So I think that um, you're absolutely correct. And it's, can, that, high, that kind of high dopamine can express in a whole lot of different ways. A lot of, uh, ex I'd like to call it just excitation because it kind of explains all the various manifestations of um, that type of um, scenario when you have high dopamine. One, one of the little hints is that if you've ever smoked, smoked marijuana and you get nervous and jumpy from the first joint, you already have a naturally high dopamine for whatever reason. If you start mm. doing things that raise that dopamine, because uh, marijuana should calm you down, which is the GAB portion. But if it makes you upregulated, uh, one of the one of the conclusions, just one, is that you may have a some people have a naturally high dopamine. Those those are the people who are kind of flighty or a little bit on the nervous side, you know, the ones who are, uh, you know, studies in perpetual motion stuff like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I would think with the the joint comment that you made that some of that might have to do with whether they were smoking a. a strain that was more sativa versus indica, but we can leave that no, for account of this discussion. Yeah. Honestly, I don't yes. even <laughs> know what I'm saying. <laughs> so, but back to the... Back when you're the getting the good stuff away. and the bad stuff, you know, the stuff from California that even the Jamaicans are going to say, don't smoke that stuff, man. That's, that's pretty bad stuff, you know, don't smoke it. You know? <laughs> I know, and I don't want every pothead emailing me, please. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so anyway, going down this pathway... Um, the COMT SNP. I actually have two variations in the COMT SNP, but I'm, I don't think anything is expressed in me. I mean, I feel pretty good, and people say that I'm almost normal, so I'm happy. Um, I don't know. Uh, but it, the point of that is, is the COMT gene can be affected by corticosteroids. So people who are taking prednisone, methylpred, uh, dexamethasone, even the orally inhaled um, steroids, fluticasone. It, it doesn't have to be by mouth with a tablet, but these corticosteroids hit and suppress the COMT genes big time. So that means you can't go from epinephrine um, and break that down to metenephrine, um, 3-methoxy-4-HPGA, whatever that is, and ultimately down to VMA, which is where you want to go. Having a, an, another uh, drug that interferes with the COMT on board will just make this even worse. And of course, if you have a SNP, it'll be like even worse. So other drugs that uh, suppress COMT include uh, sulfonamides as well as uh, HRTs and oral contraceptives. And the reason they're doing that is because they're suppressing levels of magnesium. PPI should be on that slide. I didn't have time to put that on there. But the proton pump inhibitors, things like Nexium, Prilosec, Pravacid, Dexalant, the new one, these are so good at stealing magnesium that some of these drugs literally have a black box warning on them from the FDA, meaning that's the strongest warning before they pull a drug off the market. These drugs will rip off magnesium very, very much, and you need magnesium to run that COMT gene. You also need it to take norepinephrine to VMA, so yet that's another way that a magnesium deficiency could be causing what I call a medication-induced SNP. So you don't even have to have the SNP. You have to be taking a drug nutrient depleter, what I call a drug marker, 
to suppress mm-hmm. levels of that nutrient, and it looks like a SNP. Does that make sense? That, that makes perfect sense. As a matter of fact, there's a question here in the chat room uh, that it fits right into this. Uh, an individual says, I've been reactive to pharmaceuticals my whole life, diagnosed with possible uh, porphyria, and do have Lyme and chemical sensitivity. I have infections in my gut, need antibiotics short term. How can I tell from the SNPs which antibiotics are safe? Hmm. I would look at the cytochrome P450 enzymes first because those are the most well-studied. There's also a, a blood test that you can take which studies your drug uh, reaction, um, your SNPs versus drugs. And I can't recall the name of it right now, but you might know it, Jeff, and certainly Dr. Sterling Hill knows it. Um, it's available now. It's available in the U.S., and it can tell you your response to certain drugs. Also, you know, some of the more obvious things, the culture and sensitivity will show you um, how how sensitive you might be to a drug. That way you know whether to take it. It's unfortunate that many Lymes and people with Marcons and MRSA and chlamydia pneumonia and other infections, H. pylori, the whole gamut, they're taking drugs that hit that particular organism, but they may not be right for them because they haven't had their gene study to know how they're going to react, and they're also not sure if they're even sensitive to them. Uh, anyway, I believe, lab, I believe the lab is Iverson Genetics. What is it? Is one of them. Say it again. Iverson, Iverson Genetics um, is one of the labs that does genotyping for drugs, and I believe Athena Lab may be the other one. Say, say the other one, Sean. I believe it's Athena Labs. But it was like Athena, the like the, uh, the Greek god, goddess? goddess? Yeah. Yep. I think that's the one. I'm checking it right now for you guys. Okay. Because I'm okay. While you're, checking, while you're checking that out for, for those labs that do genotyping, I'll go down the pathway and I'll talk about MAO real quick. Because a lot of people have an MAO SNP, including a dear friend of mine, has um, MAO uh, A. And you need riboflavin, which is vitamin B2, to run that. Specifically, you need to have riboflavin convert to FAD, which is uh, the biologically active form of riboflavin. I think it's flavine, adenine, dinucleotide, FAD. But the point is that's a derivative of riboflavin. So riboflavin is needed to run the MAO uh, enzyme system, and if you're short on that because you take certain drugs that are crushing your levels of riboflavin, you won't be able to run MAO effectively, and you're going to build up epinephrine, norepi, and dopamine. A high catecholamine state is going to be what you look like, and in terms of clinically, you may present with um, anxiety, panic attacks, um, even possibly phobias, insomnia, tremors. You can certainly add to that, just this is your specialty. The drugs that interfere with riboflavin I've mentioned earlier, I'll go through those again. We have tricyclic antidepressants, potassium-sparing diuretics, HRT for hormone replacement therapy, oral contraceptives, there's a million of those, and um, methotrexate. And, you know, I should make a statement here for ladies in the audience. It's not just oral contraceptives. There are other estrogen delivery 
systems like the ring. It's an estrogen ring that they go mm-hmm. intravaginally. And um, HRT can be taken as a vaginal applicator. It doesn't have to all be an oral pill like a birth control pill like you think classically. These could be forms of synthetic estrogens and progestins that are delivered in other ways, even transdermally or through shots or implants. Okay. Um, let's see. Well, oh, the, uh, the, well, I think I did mention it. Will zeoestrogens do the same thing? Yes, I think so. Not that there's any studies on it, but a zeoestrogen yeah. is acting like a sticky, gooey form of estrogen. So I would say, yeah, it's going to rip off riboflavin. It's going to be a precious waste of your antioxidants. I don't believe in anything synthetic or artificial. I just, I just, keyword artificial, right? And I know you don't. Some of the drugs that I couldn't get on that slide include the CIRMs, which are selective estrogen receptor modulators. These are used in breast cancer. Uh, women know these drugs by the name Reloxifene or Avista, Tamoxifen or Novadex. We have psychiatric drugs that play a big role, especially the older ones like thyroidazine, melarol, or Haldol, um, which is for haloperidol. We see those. And this will blow your mind. Um, the condition of estrogen dominance and or a glass of wine every night will rip off riboflavin. And that can inhibit activity on the MAO gene. So there's a lot, you know, to look at here. There sure is. There sure is. Um, someone wrote in that genesight.com, G-E-N-E-S-I-G-H-T.com and genomind. G-E-N-O-M-I-N-D dot com. Uh, another person asks a question, what are the implications effect of having homozygous SOD2 alpha-1,6-V? Um, so I have every SNP possible in the SOD uh, <laughs> gene pathway. <laughs> I take the prize. Um, you know, fortunately, I'm healthy and strong. I do get tired and I wonder how this um, plays a role. It's hard to sort out because I stay up late, I work hard, I travel, you know, I I have uh, three wonderful children. They're all adults, but, you know, I'm a regular working girl and I can't sort out whether my fatigue is from that and staying up late or if it's from all of my SOD SNPs. I have every one of them. So the implications are that you can become tired. You can uh, have a buildup of superoxide free radicals, which you have to think of like gasoline on your cells. You don't have a good way to quench these free radicals if you're short on the superoxide dismutase enzyme. So you can do a couple of different things. You can take SOD supplements. You can take manganese. Actually, Sean taught me that. He said take some manganese because the manganese is needed to run that SOD enzyme. So, like, that's a brilliant idea. So I started taking manganese after Sean suggested that for me. But here's the thing that people don't think about with an SOD enzyme is that let's say you get that running because you're taking supplements of SOD and or manganese. Let's just say you got that running. Now what? It goes to peroxide, yet another free radical. Now what are you going right. to do? you got to pray you have enough catalase on board. Well, catalase is an enzyme that'll quell the peroxide and turn it into oxygen and water. So to be safe, I take SOD, I take a little bit of manganese, 
every day, and I take Catalase Enzyme. It's a supplement that I buy. I have to get mine from Europe. I get, we get a lot of stuff from Europe around here because <laughs> we can't get it around. So yeah, well, and a lot of the people like just look on the website. That's all, guys. <laughs> Go ahead. Go we ahead, get our sorry. supplements from Europe, and we get our drugs from Canada, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know something. It's it's what it is. By the way, people, if anybody would like to call in a question, the number is six four six five nine five two two seven seven. That's six four six five nine five two two seven seven. Another person asks a good question um, that I hope I answered uh, well enough for him uh, or her. I, my apologies. Um, and it is, I have to go up a little bit. So if someone's taking an SSRI and saw no improvement in neurotransmitter deficiency levels after several months, does that mean they didn't have the supporting nutrients you've been describing in the pathways? Not necessarily. Here's the thing. People have been convinced from the television that serotonin deficiency is the cause of their depression. But there's hundreds of neurotransmitters. GABA is important. Um, dopamine, norepinephrine, epinephrine, all of these are very important. It's not just about raising your serotonin. The God's honest truth is there's more serotonin in your gut than there is in your brain. So I don't know That's how they good. think giving you a drug to lift serotonin is going to give you a happy brain. It's going to give you a happy gut. <laughs> well, that isn't a bad thing in and of itself, by the way. <laughs> no, I know. I'm being a little bit um, facetious. I'm trying to make I'm a sure. point here is that, is that our, listening audience is, our listening audience has been brainwashed to think that raising serotonin is going to make them feel good. And so what I would say to this person is to consider the nutrients and see how they do. I wouldn't consider raising the dose of the SSRI. I don't think that long-term those are good drugs. I think they can affect receptors. I'm afraid there might be over time receptor atrophy. And the truth is getting your serotonin to work a little bit longer in that tiny little microspace before it's taken back up in the synapse doesn't cure depression, you really have to figure out how to create more serotonin and how to start sleeping better and how to take uh, the nutrients that can help your own brain um, create all the neurotransmitters. And then I would look at your SNPs because I think the SNPs hold the key and, and all the other medications that you're taking, they may also hold the key because they may be stealing a nutrient that prevents you from creating the right amount of dopamine or creating the right amount of some other neurotransmitter, like, you know, maybe GABA. What if you have GADSNPs? Those are, you know, GADSNPs will cause a buildup of glutamate, and then you can't get enough GABA, and then you don't sleep well, and you're anxious, and you're depressed, and so there's all that that goes with it. So there's a lot to consider. I'm not sure I fully answered the question, but I think if you weigh in, maybe we can help. Well, actually, you did answer the question. Remember that we're, we're speaking from one point of view right now, but um, everything in neurotransmitters and uh, is balance. You know, some people with higher dopamines and lower serotonins, if you bring up the serotonin, it'll bring down the dopamine. If you if you uh, raise GABA, you can drop glutamate. And, you know, what is the process of doing that? Part of it is maybe you just need B6 for that uh, glutamate decarboxylase en enzyme to work better. Some people, a lot of people don't pay attention to the need for the amino acid precursors and why the person's serotonin or 
let's just talk serotonin because everybody is so hot on it. Why serotonin is low in the first place? Okay, because they're not absorbing. Right. You know, tryptophan is one of those bigger molecules that's the last guy on the bus to get across uh, the, uh, the gut wall. And only about mm -hmm. 10% of tryptophan becomes 5-hydroxytryptophan, which becomes, you know, eventually serotonin and acetylserotonin, then, um, then um, melatonin. But um, it, medical science has created a way of increasing the amount of serotonin within the synapse by preventing some of the reuptake. It does nothing to address why the serotonin is low in the first place, nor does it replace serotonin. So by and large, those types of medicines are doomed to fail at some point because eventually, like my mother would say from Brooklyn, if you ain't got it, you ain't got it. So if you don't have serotonin, you don't have enough serotonin, you're not going to, no matter how much reuptake you prevent, you're not going to have enough serotonin. Uh, but exactly. when it concerns neurotransmitters, you need to, you know, there's several considerations, a lot, and you always have to think balance and why things are happening in the first place. Sometimes your inhibitories are low because you have too much ex excitation going on. And how does excitation balance? By using inhibitory neurotransmitters. So eventually you use them up and you don't have them. You have no braking system. What can cause that? Things like Lyme and, you know, bacteria and parasites. And, you know, this is why we not only look at the SNPs, but we look at everything because the SNPs are hints. They don't tell you everything. That's Sorry, I'll get, I'll, and, and, I'll get yeah, off Yeah, no, that was all awesome. That was awesome. And I think in, in order to help her, maybe I could mention one more thing because um, Please. I, I think it would be just important to tease out other things. And basically, I should preface all this with make sure that your doctor can step away from the brain, you know, for a minute. And we're all thinking about mm -hmm. the brain and neurotransmitters, but sometimes it's just the simple things like balancing your cortisol. So high cortisol or extremely flatlined cortisol can lead to depression, which will present mm -hmm. with all the same symptoms of low serotonin or low, you know, they'll put you on an SSRI never getting to the cortisol imbalance. So this can be teased out with saliva testing. I would also make sure that DHEA is evaluated properly and take a look at that. Sometimes it's as simple as an adaptogen, um, shizandra mm -hmm. or ashwagandha or something like this, maybe a little riboflavin since that's needed for so many pathways, especially it's, it's needed for the COMT and MAO pathway. So that could be simple. Um, reducing estrogen because elevated estrogen can lead to depression, and also raising progesterone if it needs to be. So those are something else, other considerations. And finally, I guess if somebody wanted to try something simple, I would suggest magnesium as a supplement, uh, specifically magnesium L3 and 8 or magnesium glycinate, definitely not magnesium aspartate or oxide. Okay, now I'll get off my soapbox. No, no, what do you see? Here's here's the here's the real bottom line. The real bottom line is that as simple as this stuff seems, it can get very complex. And the difficulty is, you walk into a you know a standard allopathic physician and say you're depressed, and the practitioner sits there and says, "Let me give you an antidepressant," okay, which is not an antidepressant. It's something that balances or tries to balance a certain neurotransmitter. And by virtue of the fact that you're looking for an antidepressant, okay, you start mucking around with various neurotransmitter levels, which 
are not being tested. I think psychiatry is the only um, profession that doesn't image the organ that it works on or doesn't test for it. They work all on symptoms, which is a very poor way to work when you're considering, you know, uh, this type of symptomatology. How many things can cause depression? Low dopamine, high dopamine, low serotonin, high serotonin, and a myriad of other imbalances, you know. Uh, so I guess the takeaway is that if your standard treatment hasn't worked, some of the simpler things you can do are to take a good absorbable multimineral compound that has manganese and magnesium and a good balance of calcium and, and all the various trace minerals in it, uh, a good B-complex that has um, riboflavin, niacin, uh, thiamine, and so forth. And me, I, ha I happen to be very careful about the methylating products because sometimes that can kick you in the butt and cause more excitation. So I tend to shy away from the methyl groups, depending, unless I know the person very well. Um, look at their SNPs and so forth and so on. Sometimes just giving the body the foundation for it to work will correct most of these most of these ills. Um, someone has asked, is there a supplement that can might help correct really high levels of B12 in someone who does not take B12 supplements? Hmm. You know, that, that needs to be teased out because there is a significance of elevated cobalamin levels and it's, it, it, could, it could be some kind of liver problem, maybe some kind of low-grade hepatitis or some kind of liver disease that could cause increases in this. It could also be gastric problems. Um, I think you can measure other markers. Is it methylmalonate? I don't recall. There's another way to measure. Methylmalonic acid is one of them. Mm -hmm. Or you can get, you can get the, um, the cellular level of B12, I think, with the um, a micronutrient analysis. Micronutrient analysis yeah. would be good. Sean, I know you're chomping at the bit there, guys. It's, it's also reflective of a greater chance of having a SIBO, which is a small bacterial overgrowth. I see that a lot of clinically, and there's actually some documentation to support that. And, and there's also um, hyperisonophilic syndrome, which is a medical condition. Too many white blood cells uh, can tease out, you know, that. Um, also, leukemia is another I mean, there's many, there's kidney compromise. I don't want to scare anybody or anything, but these are things to tease out. I wouldn't just take a supplement to reduce it without first understanding why is it so sky high on you when you don't even touch the supplement. Make sure it's not in a, a vitamin drip. If you're getting Myers, ask them, is this in there? Why? You know, make sure that it's not in a supplement that you're taking. For example, you're taking something as a diet aid, you know, like for weight loss or something, maybe it's in there. Just un just turn over every stone, try to uncover the source of it. If you're really, really not getting it, then have your, you know, have your doctor test you a little bit more to find out what medical condition might be driving that. Susie, you bring up one of the most important points of this entire conversation. Uh, everybody out there needs to remember that, you know, we're we're, we tend to be, we are alternative medicine practitioners, but you never, a true holistic practitioner is someone who affords you the best of 
traditional and alternative medicine, which means that you need to always go to somebody who can consider everything because there's too many people out there who just say, oh, you got a high B12, let's give you lithium orotate. You know, or I've, I've, I always tell the story about the applied kinesiologist who was always treating um, weak adductor muscles, you know, but never thought any further. And the person had, which those are related to the prostate, and the person had prostate cancer. Never even to, had bothered to ask the questions. Okay, you need to make sure that you have had the regular stuff and the most da- or the more dangerous stuff checked out before you start you know, uh, exploring the more esoteric reasons. Sometimes we go right for the esoteric, okay? And that would be the wrong way to go about things. Yeah, that's true. But that's how we're taught. And, you know, the pharmacist for 25 years, that's exactly how I was taught. And that's what they say on TV. If you feel badly, then you need to take this drug and it'll make you happy. If your bones hurt or your joints hurt, then you need to get these shots right away because that will help you. Nobody ever stops to consider, could that be a Bartonella infection? I mean, Bartonella infection looks just like rheumatoid arthritis. But, oh, no, let's put you on Humira right now or Enbrel or whatever because (laughs) they don't want to bother trying to uh – it's history, history, history. You know, you find out a person, (laughs) right? Well, because if you're a person with rheumatoid arthritis, yeah, I remember when I was 14 years old, I went camping and I got a tick bite. And you know what? I've got these strange, like, scratch marks on me sometimes, and my joints hurt like hell. Oh, but I'm on Enbrel. Then, you know, you and I are kind of cross-eyed because we get that. It's like, what have they missed? How dreadful that this person has suffered for so long. And all I'm saying is that sometimes a medical condition presents as something else, and you can be driven through the medical system, picked on, probed, pay till you're virtually bankrupt, and they never look at the big picture. And it's so sad. People lose relationships. They lose their homes. They lose their retirement accounts. Chasing a quick fix, a one-size-fits-all pill or treatment, never really getting to the true underlying cause and... So I hope today we've, you know, well, opened some eyes and enlightened some people. That's that's the whole purpose of uh, my podcast that we've been doing since uh, November of 2013 is empowerment, enlightenment. You know, one of uh, Sherlock Holmes's favorite sayings has always been, uh, it's a capital mistake to theorize without data. But most people don't realize the entire statement, and it goes like this. It's a capital mistake to theorize without data because insensibly you will twist facts to suit theories instead of twisting theories to suit facts. In our day and age, we have a set of theories, we call them diagnoses. And our medical physicians have been taught to shove people into those diagnoses so that a algorithmic path of medications or whatever can be given, but you have to shove people into that diagnosis. In the old days, people would, uh, physicians would figure out what was wrong with you. Now we've lost that ability or that ability has been put to the side, you know, in favor of twisting that person into the diagnosis where what is really needed and necessary is for us to twist our, to alter our thinking to that person's individual physiology. That's why we take such a long history because often the answers have been there 
okay, but someone has either ignored them or glossed over them or said, oh, I've done a Lyme test and really only did, you know, a screening test, but then they have those scratch marks or what look like, you know, um, stretch marks with purple on the inside that gives you an idea of Bartonella or Babesi, whatever. Okay, uh, these are the things we tend to pick up. We also have the benefit of the fact that when we take a nice long history of all the things that have already been done, that we can sit there and go, hmm, you know, maybe that, maybe this, maybe this was ignored, or hey, they didn't even consider this because that's a stone that's been left unturned. So the takeaway here is to make sure you don't go to the esoteric first, you go to the standard stuff first. Okay, you could have diabetes. I know a, a good friend who is blaming everything on everything else, but his hemoglobin A1C would kill a horse. You know, <laughs> I'm like, get that fixed first, please. I don't care what it mm -hmm. takes. Get, get blood sugar down because you're like oscillating your proteins. Nothing's working. I don't care. Forget esoter esoteric stuff. Get your diabetes under control. You know, once you do that, you know, then we can start working with a lot of other things, you know, but mm -hmm. get the most, always consider the most serious things. And then when you hit a frustration level or your practitioner hits a level, when they start telling you it's in your head, because that's their frustration level, that's where they go, hmm. You know, that's because they're, they're saying, I can't figure out what's wrong with you, so it must be you. Don't ask me where that leap of logic came from. <laughs> okay, right. but it's true. Uh, so we're all about empowerment, which is amazing, uh, Susie, what you've been saying tonight. I mean, I've been taking notes like it's going nuts. Um, what other articles, where can they go to get more articles about what you were talking about? Well, just at my website, it's suzycohen.com, S-U-Z-Y-C-O-H-E-N.com. I've got other articles on there. I have one on MTRR and vitamin B12 and how that could impact your homocysteine. I have one. Uh, I have that. You can just use my search box for that matter. I've got a lot on genes and methylation and other SNPs. Um, if they sign up for my the newsletter, they'll get all kinds of good stuff. Um, my newsletter is actually kind of fun because when you sign up to receive a free newsletter, not only do you get occasional good coupons and things that work at my supplement company, you also get a free ebook that I wrote called Spices That Heal. And it's not just about how good curcumin or, I'm sorry, turmeric is for you and saffron and um, cumin seed and all these. It's really how some of these affect your genetic SNPs and the things that we've been talking about. So you can use things in your own spice cabinet to help yourself. So it's, you know, it's my site, SusieCohen.com, and I'll just let people go there and they can look around. I've got books there that you can buy. I've written six or seven now. My latest one is called Thyroid Healthy. And there's free information. Again, just use that search box. So what you said was really important. I, I think, you know, the, the final point I want to make before I go is just basically how people allow the doctors to put their own health, into medication and the doctors unfortunately many of them just put all their power in a prescription pad and that's sad because these physicians are very smart many of them are brilliant but it's just so much faster to just write a prescription than to sit there and, and talk another five or ten minutes and figure out what to do so we have to continue to enlighten people and urge people don't let your physician put all the power into the prescription pad because 
that's going to just leave you struggling. And on a medication merry-go-round, that's uncomfortable. There's a ton of scientific literature on nutrients. The body runs on nutrients. It isn't deficient of certain drugs. It's deficient in nutrients and cofactors and minerals. And these are the things that are running your biochemical pathways. And these are the things that are allowing your genetic expression to be fully enjoyed and used. So I guess we can leave it at that. People can write to me through my website or I guess through you too. Do you, um, do you treat people? Uh, or, um, I, I, no. I apologize if I'm asking that the wrong way, but. Um, no, no, that's okay. I'm not clients? a physician. No, I'm not a physician and I, I can't act as one, but I write articles and I write books to help inform people. And thank you for asking that. People will uh, constantly ask if I do consultations and can take them on as, you know, help them advise and as help clients, them recommend. Sure. No, I can't. I can't do that. It's not something that I'm like because I'm not a physician. But what I can do is educate you, and I've been doing that in the media, on TV, radio, and through my website where I have archived hundreds of articles and people can read that, and then they can have a conversation that's intelligent to their physician, and they'll be so intelligent after reading some of my articles that, honestly, they'll have to be taken seriously, and they'll have to be given the respect that they deserve. And, you know, they're paying their, their doctors, they're paying their practitioners good money, and they deserve to be heard, and they deserve to be treated. And I know this sounds crazy to you, but if your doctor's not helping you feel better and they're not truly trying to help and doing test after test and trying to, in in a way that you deem that they're really trying and doing a good job, then you need to fire them because they work for you. You pay them. They're kind of like your employee, right? Like you're paying them. Yeah, hey, you appreciate the choir. You are preaching to the choir, Susie. Yeah, I've been saying that we, we've been saying this, you know, what I'm taking away from you right now is that you are, your whole uh, mission in life is empowerment, okay, giving out good information, giving out solid information that people can use the, to have, it, have good conversations with their physicians, to demand that they are given uh, the proper consideration for their for their particular conditions. There are too many people out there with chronic conditions. You know? Are you there? Yeah, I'm okay. here. Can you hear I'm me? Sorry. Yeah, I had a bit of an echo. There are too many people out there with chronic illnesses. And the reason I started and Sean, Sean and I started this particular um, podcast up a couple of years ago was to start empowering everyone and uh, so that they would go to their physicians and say, hey, there's more Stop telling me it's in my head. You know, you've, you've estranged my family from me because you don't want to look any further, you know? Right. Um, so, and um, so, you know, you, so what you're saying is absolutely wonderful. And I realize that you have to go. So I just want to say thank you so very much for sharing your time with us. You're a wonderful individual. You're a wonderful person. I love you to death. I just think, you know, you're just one, you are the whole package. You are a healer. Okay. And, um, you know, I'm just so happy that, um, you know, that, that you've uh, consented to talk with us tonight and everybody should go to uh, Suzy Cohen, S-U-Z-Y-C-O-H-E-N.com. 
Uh, first of all, I've been on the web website. It's beautiful. It's just wonderful. You're going to learn an awful lot. Peruse the website, ask questions, you know, avail yourself of the ebook. Uh, if you have particular questions for Susie, feel free to write me personally, or I don't, I don't know if there's a methodology on your website to communicate yeah, with you. But I do know that you get about 80 or 100 emails a day. So um, if everybody would kind of throw the questions at Sean or I, I'll distill them into an answer, into a, you know, the category, talk with Susie and then put it on our blog so that everybody's question gets answered, you know, because all they have, all they have to do is go to my site and click contact. And then in the subject line, put dinner with Hugh Jackman and then I'll answer it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I think we're getting a lot of echoing here. Uh, yeah. So if, of course, if it's you, thank you so much. If it's uh, you, Jackman, I, I understand there'll be an immediate immediate response. <laughs> right. Exactly. Thank you so okay, much. Good thank night. You. Good night, Susan. Good night, guys. All right, uh, everybody. We have about two minutes. Let me tell you who's coming up next week. We have John Cozion, who uh, is a fascinating practitioner. Uh, he used to be a surgeon, and and then he didn't like surgery, um, and um, decided to uh, go into environmental engineering, and is going to talk to us about environmental toxicity. Okay, um, and um, you know, a person's writing now. I lost everything because when I went undiagnosed for many years, seeing a doctor after doctor. I wish I heard shows like this 15 to 20 years ago. Bless you. Well, thank you very much for that sentiment. We have been trying, Sean and I, Susie, uh, people like us, Dr. Ben, we've been trying our very best to give out good information on a consistent basis. You know, we never claim to be right all the time, but we claim to try our very best and give out good, honest information that you can take to the bank, so to speak. And uh, those people with chronic illnesses should not accepted okay because i don't think there's a chronic illness that cannot be positively affected especially given a good look at and that's what we do so um again suzycohen.com if you wanted to talk to sean or i you can go to methylationsupport.com okay there is a uh, contact form there uh, that you can use to uh talk with either sean or myself and um be very happy to um answer your questions and um start looking into those issues that may have eluded your doctors for um, for many years. And I'm getting really good feedback on the chat room. I apologize, we're out of time. I hope I didn't, um, you know, um, ignore anybody because there was an awful lot of stuff going through on the chat room. But um, I got to tell you something. I was we're blessed to have uh, Susie Cullen on. Uh, please go to her website. Uh, you'll find her to be a fascinating woman uh, and a fascinating practitioner. Uh, I also remember that uh, she will be speaking at SHEICON, uh, which is Dr. Ben's um, conference uh, starting October 15th. I'll also be there speaking, uh, plus uh, several other excellent practitioners and Dr. Ben himself. Okay, um, if you go to Dr. Ben's um, website, you'll see uh, references to the conference. So once again, I appreciate um, your time. And I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Okay, thank you so much. Again, this is Dr. Jess Armine coming to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine here in southeastern Pennsylvania. I wish everybody a good night. Thank you again for your attention. Have a good night, guys. It's been a long, long time.
sick for 15, 20 years by whatever mechanism are the strongest people we know. And we have devoted our lives and our research to change your lives around. Make sure that you guys have options. Okay, we're not selling anything. We're just giving out information. Just don't forget, we're right by your side all the time. If you have questions, give us a call. Have a good week. See you next week.